0: This morning we're going to be continuing our series on the Holy Spirit and uh, we're looking at regeneration uh, today. Let's see here. Yes, we're looking at regeneration and uh, regeneration is the supernatural transformation that takes part in the heart of man by the power of God through the Holy Spirit. So we're going to be looking at this great work of God in, in some different, uh, from some different aspects, different angles. Uh, let's go to the Lord and, and seek His help. Heavenly Father, we come to You, and we ask, Lord, that You would uh, enable us, Lord, to open Your Word. Uh, Father, help us to uh, rightly understand it. You've revealed Yourself as uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three uh, in person, one in essence, one God, three people. So Lord, help us to understand all that you are. And specifically, as we uh, look at the Holy Spirit, I pray that uh, we would understand him uh, rightly. We would grow to appreciate his work in our lives and our relationship with him. And Lord, we ask that you would receive all the glory uh, as that is your aim uh, in everything we say and do today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So again, regeneration, just uh, a, a few ways of saying it. It's a supernatural transformation that takes part in the heart of man by the power of God through the Holy Spirit. This is essential for salvation. This is essential to for someone to be a Christian uh because man on his own is dead in their transgressions and sins, but regeneration is where God moves on his elect people to make them alive in Christ um, This comes from verses, and we're going to look at a number of verses today, but uh one that helps maybe crystallize regeneration it says you being in your excuse me you being dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh he made you alive with him having graciously forgiven us all our transgressions so regeneration is god taking what was once dead And making it alive. That's what it means. It's to take what was once dead to make it alive. The fallen heart of man is the focus of regeneration. That is the inner man, the soul. Uh, the, The real you in your relationship with God. The fallen heart of man is spiritually dead. The miracle of regeneration is that God makes a sinner what he previously was not, that is spiritually alive. Uh, One uh, Bible dictionary defines regeneration as the experience of being born again as a new creature, a child of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones defines regeneration as the act of God by which a principle of new life is implanted in a man or woman, with the result that the governing disposition of the soul is made holy. I think that's a really good, thorough definition, and even leads into the new life and that is the result of that regeneration uh, of God. I'll read it again. Martin Lloyd-Jones defines... Regeneration as the act of God by which a principle of new life is implanted in a man or woman with the result that the governing disposition of the soul is made holy. Now, there are different ways that the Bible presents regeneration. Uh, I think when I first came here way back in 2019, uh, actually, when I was still candidating, I think I did a series on uh regeneration and the nature and work of regeneration, and we looked at the different ways that it 's defined in scripture and the and the different uh results of regeneration in our life so um i mean man you have, you have to go back in the archives for that one, but um I think there was maybe five or six sermons on regeneration. So we're going to try and condense that into one lesson today. We were supposed to do uh, regeneration and indwelling. Um, So please forgive me if you were looking forward to looking at that topic today. But as I was studying this topic, I mean, I just was convinced in, in the process that, I mean, we can spend plenty of time on each one individually. So... That's what we're going to do. We're going to spend uh, one day today uh, looking at regeneration, and then next, next week, uh, Lord willing, we're going to look at indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, we're going to look at just uh, four different ways that Scripture describes regeneration, and the first one is new birth. New birth. And, of course, uh, the text that we go to uh, for this is John chapter 3. Uh, it's, it's the text on regeneration. It's uh, the passage on the new birth. And the two things are synonymous. So, John 3 verse 5 through 8. We're going to hone in here just on the words of Christ and his answer To Nicodemus, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which has been born of the flesh is flesh, that which has been born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who has born, who has been born of the Spirit. So here we see uh, Jesus talking about regeneration, and he uses a term uh, that is uh, a new kind of term, a new way of talking about regeneration, uh, as opposed to different ways that is talked about in the Old Testament. He introduces us to a new way of communicating this, and it's, it's being born again, the new birth. So this is a passage about God uh, causing life or making life in the heart of man. That's regeneration. Now, the imagery here of being born again or just being born of the Spirit, he says it uh, a number of times Let's look at verse 6 and 7. Uh, there's, you know, the, being born of the flesh, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which has been born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. There's that popular phrase that uh, we use to speak of somebody who is a born-again Christian. That's where this comes from. The imagery of being born is purposeful by jesus here and we're going to see that especially when he gets into verse eight Uh, he tells us that the whole reason why he uses this illustration two aspects two characteristics of the nature of regeneration that we learn from this phrase born again or born of god first of all it's passive it's passive As far as human effort is concerned, as far as you and I are concerned, it is a passive action. That is, it is something that is done to you. You are passive in that action. In the process of regeneration, you are not active in that. The opposite is you are passive. Jesus uses the verb ganao, which means to bear or to beget or to give birth. In this passage, each time the verb is used, ganao, every time it is in the passive form. So it is intentional. It's not just, well, that's usually what it means to be born is You know, the idea is that you're passive. The the verb that he uses about being born again, he's saying to Nicodemus, you must be passively born again. He's not saying you make sure and get born again. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this is what must happen to you if you want to see the kingdom of God. And this makes sense because a baby does not cause itself to be conceived much less be born to uh, to its parents. So also a sinner who is spiritually dead, that's our state, remember uh, Ephesians 2, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly walked, right? So that's all of us. Uh, We are spiritually dead. That means... As spiritually dead ones, we are totally incapable of making ourselves alive spiritually. One author says, it is something that happens to us. We are begotten. We do not beget ourselves. We cannot generate ourselves, much less regenerate ourselves. It is entirely the work of God in us and upon us. Uh, this is essential to our understanding of our salvation. This is essential to our understanding of the doctrines of grace. That uh, no matter how much we um, no matter how much intellect we think we might have or how much um, You know, somebody might be seeking after God or so close to the kingdom or however else you want to call it. No matter how close somebody gets to the kingdom, no matter how much they seek after God, they're spiritually dead up until the point that God regenerates them. There's no spiritual life. We saw last week, though, that the Spirit does convict, but conviction is not regeneration. Conviction can and may lead to generation, re- regeneration, but it is not the same thing. And so we must drive and, 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 and uh, focus our evangelistic efforts on this, that's, that those around us that do not know the Lord would be born again, and that God would do this. So, since this is a passive action on humanity, we've already said it and alluded to it, but since this is a passive action of being born again, the natural question is, uh, who does the begetting? Who, who is the one causing this act of being born again? If, it's, if we're passive, who's active? Is it just, you know, uh, the, the result of an of a ambiguous spiritual process? Is it, uh, you know, uh, just the, the natural result of things as somebody just learns more and more about Jesus? Or is there somebody that's active? Well, we've already seen and, and alluded to the fact that the, the second aspect, the second characteristic of regeneration is if the first is that it's a passive action for us, the second is that it's an active action or it is the work of God. It is an active action of God. Regeneration is the work of God. Again, Jesus tells us this in this this verse. You have to be born of the Spirit. So, you have to be born of God. That's the idea. Uh, Again, verse 8, born of the Spirit, he says. Now, this is the act of the will of God to regenerate somebody. This is what's called a monergistic work. We looked at this when we did our series on soteriology. I think we spent maybe a week or two on regeneration. So some of this might be review and refresher for us. But monergism is speaking to the fact that uh, there is one actor, one Person at work. Uh, synergism, right? Synergistic um, is where you have uh, two entities working together to create a result. Uh, we see this in hi- a hybrid car, right? A hybrid car has both electric, an electric motor and electric uh, 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 batteries and source of power, but it also has a gas motor. And, and it runs on, on gasoline. So there's two different sources of power f- for what? For one cause, to drive the, to enter and to propel the hybrid car forward. That's synergistic. Monergistic is one or the other, right? It, it is, there is one mono. There is one uh, energy. Monergism comes from the two Greek words, mono, one, and energo, right, for energy. So there is one source of power in regeneration, in salvation. There is one person and only one who has the power to cause the new birth, and that is God. God. And it is entirely up to him, right? Again, if, if we can't cause it, and if we can't even help it, if we can't even aid God in this, if we're entirely passive, which is what he's been saying, then it is entirely up to the will of God, to the deciding and acting work of God, to cause regeneration. We get this from passages like James 1.18. Where it says, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. He's talking about here bringing us forth, that is bringing us out of death into life. And where does this come from? Well, it's by the word of truth. So the word of of the gospel, must be preached. But that's not enough. That is just a means. The source of us being brought forth, like Lazarus coming forth from the grave, the source is the exercise of his will, the action of the will of God. My mind goes to uh, the leper, Who's, who pled with Jesus, right? Would you heal me? He said, uh, will you heal me? And, and Jesus says, I will. Right? It is his will. And what he meant there is, I, it's not just I'm going to. He, he, what he means is this kind of will. What, he, what he's saying is, it, it comes entirely from my will. Uh, mercy and grace, my free and sovereign grace that I decide I will to give you life. That's what he does in the heart of the sinner. We don't convince God, we don't coerce God into giving people uh, or into causing people to be born again. It is entirely up to him. And we see this again in... John three verse eight, the wind blows where it what wishes where it wills. It's the same idea. And you hear it sound, but do not know where it comes from and uh, from uh, and where it is going. He says it's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as it were, uh, blows or or goes. As it wishes. The Holy Spirit goes uh, and, and God causes new life. He regenerates as he wishes. So we can't uh, you know, hold uh, you know, some revival meeting and say, you know what, God's going to save tonight. We don't know that. We ask him to. We plead with him but we don't know when he's going to move or if he's going to move. And you can craft a, uh, a, a sermon or a gospel presentation and get it so fine-tuned and so perfect that you, that you can get to the point where, you know what, God, God has to use this. This is just perfect. I mean, this is just, I got the gospel here, and uh, if, I, if I just, you know, if they don't interrupt and if I can just present the gospel they're going to get saved. No, we, we, we have no control over it. Our task is just to remain faithful, to bring the gospel, and to pray, and to ask God, would you please move here? Right? All right. Uh, secondly, another way that uh, this is communicated, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration is communicated as the new heart the new heart. Now, we're going to use uh, John 3 uh, again, but kind of as a springboard into another passage uh, to talk about the new heart. John chapter 3, again, the, the main passage um, in the New Testament about regeneration. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So here's that word again, right? Born. But he it's interesting. He says, born of water and the Spirit. Well, later on, he, he just hones in on born of the Spirit. But here, when he first uh, introduces this doctrine or this truth to Nicodemus, he speaks, as it were, from one teacher to another. From one, um, uh, one person who is familiar with the Old Testament to another person who is very familiar with the Old Testament. He, he speaks to him, as it were, eye to eye. and The terminology that's used here, being born of the water and the Spirit, is extremely similar to Ezek- Ezekiel 36. So, Ezekiel thirty six twenty five to twenty seven is one of the one of the passages of the Old Testament that anticipate or where God actually promises uh, the new covenant, what we enjoy today. So there are a number of passages in the Old Testament here, um, Jeremiah thirty three. Um, there are a number of passages that anticipate what you and I enjoy as believers of Christ, all the way back in the Old Testament. And this is one of them. And this is exactly what Jesus refers back to. You'll, you'll notice some similar wording. Verse 25 Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. Verse 26, moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to do my judgments. So here, what are what are the, the similar words? That we find in this passage that are that connect us to John three five. What are they? Water and spirit. Good, water and spirit. Remember, uh, John three five, water and spirit. Right, Ezekiel thirty six twenty five. We have water and then uh, spirit. And again in verse 27, we have the Spirit. So, and I believe that's why Jesus reiterates and emphasizes the Holy Spirit, because Ezekiel 36 does as well. Pretty interesting. So here, uh, to Israel, mind you, this is not just some ambiguous promise. This is to a specific people. This is why we believe there's a future for Israel because God made this promise to Israel through his prophets, to his people. He didn't promise this to the nations. The nations are grafted into the promise, into the blessing. But the source material, the the, the source of promise is to a specific people. That's that's another discussion. But... God promises this new covenant to Israel and there is a promised washing or a promised cleansing that God will fully accomplish here in the new covenant. And uh, this is what he says, uh, this is what Jesus is referring to in 3.5, in unless one is born of water. That is, unless you are Uh, The product of a cleansing. Unless you have a new life that comes through uh, a cleansing work of God. And this is what he is alluding to here in in the Old Testament. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. That's part of the new covenant. That's part of what we enjoy is in the sight of God, we are clean. Praise the Lord for that. No matter how filthy you were when you came to Christ, He cleansed you through and through, Christian. What a gift that is. And he says, I will cleanse you from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. All the sins, all the idolatry that you um, had and brought to Christ when you first uh, came to Him in faith, and even ongoingly as a Christian. You, You can rest assured, God cleans you from that. You are clean of the guilt of those sins. And then he says as it were, and as if that were not enough, I'm going to do this too. And he says, moreover, on top of that, as if just being clean wasn't good enough, and, and 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 it would be, but he says, moreover, you need something else. And he says, I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new heart. He goes on to connect this work of the new heart to the work of the Holy Spirit, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Then, verse twenty-seven, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. So there is this uh, there is this uh, intimate connection between the new heart and the Holy Spirit. Without a new heart, the Spirit cannot indwell us. This is why we deal with regeneration before we deal with indwelling next week. But what happens in salvation and what is central to, the, to this covenant is the promise of a new heart. The term for new here, when he says, uh, I will give you a new heart. The term for new is used in other texts to uh, speak of more than just, you know, a heart with a new coat of paint on it, right? It's more than just a heart that's renovated. It's talking about something brand new. Passages like uh, Isaiah 65, 17. Behold, I am creating a new heaven's And a new earth. And the former things will not be remembered or come upon the heart. So, here in Isaiah 65, uh, God is anticipating the the new creation. It's a new heavens and a new earth. He's anticipating the very end. And he says, when we get there, the former things, that is the old heavens and the old earth, They will not be remembered. They'll hardly even be our memory then. It's the same word, the same Hebrew word for new, there in Isaiah 65 as in uh, Ezekiel 36, for our new heart. It it is this product, the, the new heart that you have, Christian, is... Just as new as the new heavens and the newer. That is, uh, it is completely and utterly brand new. The point is, when God uh, gave you new life, when the Holy Spirit regenerated you, He, was, he called into existence what was not there before. That's what this is saying. He didn't just take what you had and you know, kind of dusted you off and and uh, you know, uh, put some makeup on you and you know, cleaned you up and changed your clothes and you know, okay, now you know and and, and ran you through a class, right? Twelve step program or something. That's not regeneration. That's renovation. This salvation, true salvation of a Christian, is where your life is completely new. Your heart is not what it was before. That means, I mean, there's so many implications, but one is that means that uh, you're free, Christian. You're free from... That past life, you're not going to be perfect, but you're not going to be enslaved either. Those chains are gone. Yes. I was thinking of um, David when he says, when he cried out to the Lord, created me a new heart. Did he understand that he needed that regeneration as well? Yes, yeah. That uh, seems to be the uh, understanding of the Old Testament saint. Uh so the question is uh, really in, in the Old Testament, was there? How do people get saved in the Old Testament, and uh, and what was this relationship with the Holy Spirit? So that's a whole thing on its own. But uh, we hold to that uh, in the Old Testament there was regeneration, and so the cry of the sinner is the cry of God: "Give me a new heart, create in me a new heart." Um, Yes It's interesting I've never seen that before But they don't capitalize spirit And I would have said Put the Holy Spirit in you But it's a new spirit Which is the Holy Spirit But that spirit right there Is not the Holy Spirit Yeah So that's a That's a Translational decision So Yeah In the Hebrew Like there's no capital There's no lowercase There's no punctuation There's no vowels (laughs) So, uh, this is a decision on the part of the translators. And most translators do translate it this way, a new spirit. Uh, I will put a new spirit within you. Because he's not being specific yet about which spirit or what spirit. He narrows it down in the next verse, though. Where he says, that spirit that I will put in you is my spirit. And then that's why it's capitalized. So, yeah, good good attention to detail, that uh, in 26, it's more ambiguous. Whatever this spirit is, it's new, and that newness comes from God. It, it is His Holy Spirit. His very Spirit lives within us. So, yeah, uh, and this, uh, this reminds us, notice, um, there's another word here, if we're looking at detail within you, the Holy Spirit is within you. Again, verse twenty-seven: I will put My Spirit—that's the Holy Spirit—within you, and the result is holiness, cause you to walk in My statutes. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, uh, the the Holy Spirit did not indwell uh, believers. That's why this is so radical. That's why this is a new covenant. That's what's new about it. Part of it is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at that next week. Uh, but uh, the Holy Spirit is promised to be within us. He was always with them, and he resided upon them, is the wording. And he even, he even resided upon unbelievers. And, but, but he was just with them. And upon the people of the Old Testament. That's why David prayed, remove not your Holy Spirit from me. Because he could. But the wonder of the new covenant is he lives and dwells. He doesn't just come in and and, and then he could leave. He indwells us. That is, he sets up home in our hearts. Yes. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, I will never leave you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the promise of Christ to never leave us nor forsake us uh, is is connected with uh, how is His presence mediated or communicated to us. It's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, and and therefore the Spirit never leaves us. Yes. yeah yeah so you brought up Paul, uh saul and and how uh, the god sent his spirit upon him and then removed it that spirit then brought a or sent a uh distressing spirit upon saul yeah yes yeah. uh and Yeah, that that connects right into what we're saying here. Is uh, there was no indwelling, permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit in God's people. And you didn't even have to be a believer, you didn't have to be regenerate in order to uh, have the Spirit reside on you. Uh, Good. So, the Holy Spirit living within us. Coming upon us and uh, at salvation, giving us a new heart, is the work of God in regeneration. Uh, The wording here of verse 26 of Ezekiel 36, the wording uh, communicates the act of creation on the part of God. Uh, and, and we see this in the New Testament as well. God saved us not by works which we did in righteousness, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, in, uh, excuse me, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So we see here that the new covenant just worded differently, don't we? We see the, the renewal or the washing, the cleansing of the Holy Spirit accomplished and the indwelling and the, the giving of the Holy Spirit accomplished in verse 6. He poured Him out upon us richly through Christ our Savior. And what a reality that is. He didn't. He's, we don't get a, a thimble full of the Holy Spirit. We, we are uh, given all of the Holy Spirit, every measure, every... Uh, uh, A facet, as it were, or uh, if you could quantify it, every amount of the Holy Spirit is given to every believer. We're not given just a portion or a ration, but it's a rich pouring out of the the Spirit upon the Christian. And again, it's just a monergistic work, not by works which we did in righteousness, but according to His mercy. The idea is not by our works, but by his work. And it's a work of mercy. And what does that work? It's the washing and regeneration. Washing of regeneration. So, <clears throat> J.I. Packer says, The central aspect of regeneration is seen in God renovating the heart the core of a person's being. How does he do this? He says, by implanting a new principle of desire, purpose, and action. A dispositional dynamic that finds expression in a positive response to the gospel and Christ. I'll read that again, because, man, there's that's quite a bit there. But notice what, what, what he's trying to do here is, he's, he, he is he does a great job. What does it mean to have a new heart? It is the core of a person's being. That's your heart. That's the you, right? That's your heart, mind, soul, and will or strength. That's all of you. Regeneration. Is where the core of a person's being, uh, God, God changes the core of your being by implanting a new principle of desire, purpose, and action. I- isn't that what the heart or mind does? Isn't that the seat of desire, purpose, and action, your heart or your mind—same thing in the Bible, right? Your heart and your mind, same thing, is the source of your uh, desire, purpose, and action. That's all of life. That's everything you think, say, and do, isn't it? Desire, purpose, and action. What? What else is there to you? What you want? What you will, what you plan, or, or, and what you do. Desire, purpose, and action. That's what the new heart is. You have new desires, new purpose, and new actions. That is regeneration. And that is the work of God through the Holy Spirit. To where now there is a change of Disposition. There is a change of, you could say, operating system. Or there is a new default factory setting that is implanted in you by God. A new set of principles. New set of desires. New purpose. And new actions. All of that is a product of the new heart. I mean, this is, this, is, this is not just social reform, right? The church is not about social reform. This is not about, uh, uh, you know, social work. It's not about uh, behavioral modification. It's not Christianity. True Christianity, anyways. True Christianity is God makes people new. Then they live differently. Yes, in the back. All this should put to rest that faith comes before regeneration. Mm hmm. Yeah. I think the AWP seemed to believe that faith precedes regeneration. Yes. Yeah. So some theologians will say faith precedes regeneration. But if this is all true, if we're really getting everything that we can out of these texts, how can we believe if we don't have a new heart? So our brother reminds us, God has to make new in order for us to believe. All of it is from God. All of it. The new heart and the faith. Even the faith is a gift. And so... What we see here is your salvation from beginning to end is all the product of God himself. Now, another way that scripture talks about regeneration is new sight. New sight. The Holy Spirit, we know from scripture, the Holy Spirit is the one who enables the beholding of Christ. Uh, We see this in the verse that leads right into our passage that we're going to look at for a moment. 2 Corinthians 3.18 reminds us, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So, when we... When we behold Christ with unveiled face, when we truly, fully see Christ through the word of God, the fact that we can see it and then somebody else doesn't see it, right? while somebody else doesn't see it, the fact that we can see and behold Christ in all his glory, that's from the Holy Spirit, Christian. He causes that. He causes you to be able to see the glory of the Lord. Now this is explained further in, in the next chapter of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4, 3-5 through 5 says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. So he's still talking about sight, right? He's still talking about the glory of Christ. And we'll see that. So our, even if our gospel is veiled, even if some people can't see it, it is veiled to those who are perishing, not to those who are living, right? In whose case? In, in the case of the perishing who do not see, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see. So you see, this is when, we're, when, we, when he's... Uh, separating, as it were, and dis- drawing a distinction between you know, the believer and the unbeliever, the sheep and the goat, the heart of stone and the heart of flesh, Right, the, the one who is dead in their sin, the one who has been born again. Another way he describes it is those who don't see and those who see the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see. What do they not see? And what do we see? It's the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. That's what we see. We we behold light. What what does that mean? He's going to explain that. He's going to He's going to tease that out. But whatever this light is, it is a light that comes from the gospel. Right? So the gospel in and of itself shines out some sort of glory that we behold. And what is that glory that comes from the gospel? Well, he tells us that it's the glory of Christ. Because the gospel is the gospel of the glory of Christ. It's the gospel of God. It's the gospel of Christ. It's the gospel of forgiveness and all these things. But here, it's the gospel of the glory of Christ. It is that meaning the good news about the glory of Christ. The the good announcement, which is about the wonders and excellencies of Jesus Christ. When we proclaim the announcement of the glories of Christ, there is a light that comes. And God's people see that. They see it. He goes on in, in verse 5. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is the Lord. Right? So we're not, we're not, we're not preaching self-help. We're not preaching follow a man. We're, we're, preaching, we're preaching Jesus Christ. And ourselves as your slaves for the sake of Jesus. He says, but we all with, or excuse me, uh, verse, I don't have verse 6 up here. I need to turn it. I need to turn there. Forgive me. Uh, 2 Corinthians. See, I was getting excited. and uh, We do not preach ourselves, verse 5, but Jesus Christ is Lord and ourselves as your slaves for the sake of Jesus. Verse 6. I can't believe I don't have this up there. Um, for God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness... That's in quotes. The God who said, quote unquote, light shall shine out of darkness. That God is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of, here it is again, the glory of God in the face of Christ. So what we see here is that this God, uh, When he regenerates us, when we are given new life, we are given sight. And we see this theme of creation come up again, this newness. right? Just as God said, light shall shine out of darkness. When did he say that? Genesis 1, right? Let there be light. And nothingness obeyed him. How stunning is that? in the same way in that same act of God that just causes us to wonder he did that in every Christian's heart he said let there be light and what does it say it says the, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God which, is, which culminates in the face of Christ that beautiful face of Christ that light Shown into our hearts. It flooded us. And we beheld him. We beheld his glory. Uh, In this passage, uh, in the context, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 2 Corinthians 4, the word glory, the word glory is uh, said uh, 15 times. That's a lot. That's, high, that's a, a high a, a concentration of this one word. So that tells us that his focus here is on the glory of Christ. So regeneration, according to this passage... Regeneration is God instantaneously calling into existence a sight that was not there before. It is God utilizing the same creating power that was used to create the galaxies, used to create all of creation that we see today. The same power that it took to, to make that was exercised. It is exercised every time somebody comes to faith in Christ. So we can't say, you know, Jesus isn't doing, or God isn't doing miracles today. It just doesn't look like, you know, how some people would expect. He's doing miracles all the time. And He's doing a specific miracle that should just stun us every time someone comes to faith in Christ. He is using his his world creating power. And again, where does this come from? How does God accomplish this? It is from the Lord the Spirit. That's why we're here. Right? It is from the Lord the Spirit. Now, uh, the result of this is that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ immediately shines into the deep darkness of the depraved heart. The glory of Christ shines into the heart, expelling the darkness of sin. Now, lastly, we just have a few moments here. And that's a tragedy. Um, I have three here. It should be four. Uh, four. New creation. There are other ways that uh, Scripture uh, speaks about uh, regeneration, circumcision, uh, and, and uh, transference from kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved Son. So a transfer of kingdoms. But here is, here is a, a wonderful one for us this morning. New creation. Uh, and and I, need to, I need to go through this. Uh, Ephesians four 17, uh, We're going to be looking at 17 to 24. Actually, 17 to 30, but uh, we're going to focus in on a few, uh, just a few verses here. First of all, verse 17 to 19 shows us our state before salvation. It uses words like um, feudal mind. Therefore, this I say and testify in testifying the Lord, that you no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their minds. So how does the unbeliever, how does the sinner walk? What describes them? A futile mind, a darkened mind, uh, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. There is a hardness of heart. And then verse 18, there is, they, they have, have become callous, and there's a giving over uh, to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Uh, so just a, uh, uh, a bleak uh, uh, diagnosis of the human heart, of the fallen human heart. Feudal Minds points to the uselessness or emptiness of the thoughts of fallen mankind. This is why no man is able to fix himself, his life, or his world. A darkened mind means that the reasoning and decision-making abilities of fallen men and women are flawed at the source. When he says that we are alienated, it means that we are excluded from the life of God, strangers to God. When it says that we were hard-hearted, this is a sinner... It is like a stone in how he relates to God. There's no response, no sensitivity, no care for God. He is dead to God. And God is dead to him. And sinners left in this state become more and more callous in their sin. That is, there is a gradual lessening of the guilt of sin until they reach a point where there is no guilt. That's callousness. And the result is that uh, you give they give themselves over to sensuality. That is to hand yourself over to your sin. And it is uh, what's practiced is every kind of, of impurity. That is, what you desire and consume is, is poison and impure all the way to the point of it is, a, is, it is a sin that is marked by greediness. A greedy sin. Where you are willing to do anything as long as it makes you happy. That is the fallen human heart. So no, we can't just do behavioral modification or ten steps and you're in the clear. It won't work. Look at us. So, What's the remedy? Well, he says, don't be like that, Christians, because why? You did not learn Christ in this way. Ephesians 4.20. You did not learn Christ in this way. He's alluding back to, to uh, where Jesus said in Matthew 11. Remember, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Matthew 11.29. So he says, you did not learn Christ this way. You didn't come to Christ in this way with all of that sin, with, with a darkened mind. No, you came to Christ in a new life. You, you, you did hear him, and you were taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. When you came to Christ, uh, it was it, you did not have a futile, futile mind, darkened understanding. You, you, you were no longer alienated or hard-hearted or callous." And, and you didn't give yourself up to sensuality, but rather you gave sensuality up. This is repentance. This is repentance. And he says here, as a believer, you don't have that old life. You don't live that old life. Remember, he says, he said, um, uh, Therefore this I say and testify in the Lord that you, no longer, that you walk no longer just as a Gentile also walk. He, what he's saying is, you're a Christian. You're not an unbeliever. An unbeliever is marked by these things. You should not be marked by these things. Why? Because you were taught by Christ. You learned Christ. What did he teach you at the point of salvation? He says here, to lay aside in reference to your former conduct the old man, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new man, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So, to lay aside, to be renewed and then to put on the new man. Some might say, well, that's what he's telling them to do. But he's, what he just said is, today you're a Christian, and today you should not live like the Gentiles. Why? Because when you got saved, you learned and were taught by Christ to do something. What were you taught when you got saved? You were taught to lay aside the old man to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new man. These three things happen at the point of salvation. Now, there is a sense in which, of course, we uh, ongoingly practice, we go through these things, where, we, where the old man, as it were, tries to cr- crawl back in, and you know, we try and carry him like, like a corpse and carry him around as we live says no you got to lay that aside again uh and you and you have to be renewed all the more again today and you need to continue to put on the new man yes those are present ongoing realities but there is a sense here where paul is talking about the the act of god in regeneration that you have a new man you are excuse me a new man you are a new woman Uh, is it uh, let me see here where is this passage 2nd Corinthians I don't have it apologies 2nd Corinthians 517 you can jot that down 2nd Corinthians 517 says therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old things passed away behold new things have come The old man is put off here. Uh, Verse 22, Ephesians 4, 22. The old man is put off or laid aside. That is a sum total of your former practices, natural impulses, and attitudes are all set aside at salvation. That's repentance, right? That's what we call people to do when they come to faith in Christ. Is repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The sinner must turn from his old life. Not only this, uh, but uh, there is a renewal, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The renewal, as we've seen in in the last points, is is in the real you. They're renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's regeneration, and as also part of regeneration is. There is a new man in you. This new man uh, is put on at the point of salvation. Now, what we're not saying is a new man was added alongside our old man. You do not have a new nature and an old nature. You are completely new. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. It's total. So you don't have the old man uh, and you don't have the old nature in you. That's called the flesh. What you're struggling with is the flesh, it's remnants. But there, isn't, there aren't two competing natures, there's not two competing yous. So if we say that a new man is added alongside our old man, we diminish God's renewing work in regeneration. Rather, the Christian is completely transformed by God's creative power. It is not the old nature refurbished, but a totally new creation. C.S. Lewis, I've quoted him before, he says, Christians are not just nice people, they are new people. And this new man is created by God is created by God, in the likeness of God, supernaturally brought about by him, not renovated, but created. And he is created in righteousness and holiness as a result of hearing the truth. God is righteous and holy, and so therefore it is fitting and appropriate that his people, whom he makes new, be righteous and holy as well. And what we see, actually, is in the rest of this passage... The new life, the rest of Ephesians 4, explains that. But I want to draw a connection between the Old Testament uh, uh, description of the new covenant and this, just briefly. As, again, Ezekiel thirty six twenty seven, where he says, I will put my spirit within you. What's the result of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and regeneration? And cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to do my judgments. The result is a new life. And what we see here, if we go back to Ephesians 4, is we see if we have laid aside the old man, renewed by the Holy Spirit, and put on the new man at salvation, the Spirit indwells us and produces a new life. And we see that in Ephesians 4. 25 and following. He says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth. That's a mark of new life. Each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. So, the ability to not sin, you are able to not sin, not perfectly, but you're actually able to not sin and say no to sin. That's a work of the new life within you. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Verse 27 Do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer. So, again, you stop. You stop doing sins. Rather, you labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share. There's the complete opposite of stealing. It's not just you know, working on your own and just providing for your home. The opposite of being a thief is to be generous. And that's what God does. Share with one who is in need. Verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. There's the stopping, right? The putting off of the old man. But only such a word as is good for building up what is needed so that it will give grace to those who hear. There's the new life. You're actually used to build up, not tear down. To give grace, not to to diminish. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath, excuse me, bitterness and anger and wrath and shouting and slander be put away from you. There, there it is again. So he's exhorting us: just as you have put off the old man, continue to lay these things aside, along with all malice. In verse thirty-two, instead being kind to one another, tender-hearted, graciously forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also. Has graciously forgiven you. This is the new life that God, the Holy Spirit, has brought about in every believer. We are able to be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. We are able to speak truth, to say no to sin, to be generous, to give grace, to build up those around us, and to point people to Christ. So, uh, what? What do we? What do we learn from this? Just a couple thoughts. When we think about regeneration, this means then that we must pray that the eyes of unbelievers be opened by God's grace. And we trust him and boldly evangelize because he can do it. He is God after all. So we take this notion of regeneration and we go evangelize. Trusting. Man, it, I, I just have to... Give them the gospel and and the power doesn't lie in my presentation or my intellect my abilities uh, as long as i'm faithful to present the true gospel man god can save and he can even save through somebody like me i can stutter and stammer all i all i want and god can still work so it should give us boldness to evangelize also we must live according to these truths, or live according to the new life of re- and regeneration that we have been given in Christ. We are born again. We have a new heart. We have new sight. And we are a new creation. We ought to live in such manner. We ought to live a new life. We ought to have new uh, uh, thoughts, and desires, and wills, and decisions, and actions. Uh, we have been given new sight. We've, we have beheld Christ. And so we ought to desire to look often to Him, to behold Him. Nobody else can see Jesus the way, you, the way that we can, Christian. The world can't behold Jesus like this. What a gift you have. Don't squander that. Look to Him often. And you're a new creation. You're a new creation. So live out this new life. You're not enslaved to to the old you. That old you is dead and gone. We just need to quit going back to him and carrying him along with us in our journey. Amen. Next week, we will be looking at indwelling together. should be a wonderful, encouraging time as we behold the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament and how much of a gift this is in the New Covenant and uh, the work of the Holy Spirit as he indwells us should be wonderful uh, and, encouraging, and an encouragement to us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for, your, for giving us your Holy Spirit. Thank you for sending him into each of our lives and hearts to regenerate us, to bring about the new birth, to give us a new heart, a new life, Lord, Oh, Lord, may we live accordingly, and may we go out from this place and bring the gospel to those around us, confident that all the power lies in you, and you are willing and ready to to give people new hearts, Lord, to, to cause regeneration in the lost. This is what you do, God. May you do it through us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.